On this vote, the yeas are 216, the nays are 210. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 50 of The Middle Unplugged. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. Wait, did I say 50? Wow. Isn't that something you celebrate with gold? Senator Menendez, call me. I jest. I'm really humbled and grateful to be able to do this and for it to have found an audience. This, like the radio, is uh, has some common threads with being in politics, having positions and ideas about things, explaining them. There are obviously a lot that a candidate or an elected official would also do of those things. But the convention of politics and the imperatives are somewhat different than they are in a podcast or on the radio. In spite of the jokes, politicians are rarely called upon to expound for uninterrupted blocks of time. Usually the life of a politician is responding quickly and with punch to a bunch of questions. But here on the podcast especially, I get a chance to let issues breathe a little bit, which is nice. It also means that I get to do more than news, I get to do some history. I've tried to do that for the last 49 episodes, and I'll take a stab at it as well today. So the government was sure to shut down, then it didn't. And the guy who finally woke up and stopped it from shutting down got thrown out of his job for seemingly, I guess, doing his job. So let's take these things in order. Government shutdown, countdowns, and even the crises themselves are sort of always, in one way or another, anticlimactic. The fights themselves are rarely much different than all the other fights are throughout the year. One side has a policy they care about or a funding level they assist upon. Trump wanted to build a wall, for example. The Republicans wanted to defund Obamacare, I guess it was in 2013. Today, it's fights over Ukraine and border walls. The public usually has taken a side on these issues, so the threat of shutting down the government over them, for most people, it's simply a chance to gnash their teeth over how the other side is being irresponsible. But in most cases, it's not a very edifying conversation. The other problem is that the threat of shutdown is usually one that lacks much drama because most people don't do not come in contact with the federal government in a way that really motivates them to be concerned about it shutting down. Garbage won't be collected in national parks. Federal employees won't get paid. Well, most Americans are not camping, nor are they federal employees. But there is a caveat to this whole nothing really matters take of the, on the drama of the week. For the less engaged and less partisan Americans, the very idea of Congress not being able to do the basics of running the place, for this group, it probably is very frustrating and somewhat bewildering. This group, by the way, the less engaged and, less, and thus less partisan, is also a group that makes the difference in congressional and primary elections. So maybe in a small way, it helps Democrats um, that Republicans seem to be in disarray. Does the history show that the party in control of Congress loses when they can't get a bill passed to fund our government? Sort of no. Um, it, it is far enough ahead of the election as we are now that usually voters don't even remember it unless they're camping in a national park at the time. So they didn't shut down the government this weekend. They extended the current levels for another 45 days, even though I read the bill, it looked like 47 days. 
and the plan to include some emergency money for Ukraine was excluded. There, now you're all caught up. But while most of America went about their business of not paying much attention to the pseudo-crisis or the ending of it, there was a group of very unhappy people. For them, the outcome was the starter's pistol in the repeat of the process to choose a speaker. And we did see this coming. I refer you to my sage predictions from episode 12 of this fine podcast. Did I mention this was our 50th episode? Anyway, in episode 12, it was titled Mastering the Sino Rules. S-I-N-O is speaker in name only. I suggested that the idea that the combination of three things would make it very hard for Kevin McCarthy to hold on to the speakership for long. One is the rule that permits any single disgruntled member to bring a motion to vacate the chair, essentially throwing whatever national priority the House is working on out the window and returning to that spectacle that from the first day of session where they took 15 votes to make Speaker Kevin. The second thing that made Kevin's life as the second in line of succession a very temporary state is the tiny majority that the Republicans enjoy. A five-seat majority makes life challenging because consensus is hard enough to reach in his conference, but unanimity, unanimity, getting everyone to agree, is next level. And that second thing is exacerbated by the third element of things that make it hard for a Republican speaker in 2023. There are so many members on the Republican side who have no reason for being. Not no reason for being in the existential threat sense. I mean no reason for being in a lawmaking body. They want to pass no laws. They really only want to stop things from happening. This is the crux of the difference between the leftmost wing of the Democratic Party and the out there wing of the Republican Party. Progressives have things they want. They want laws and policies. They have ideas. As much as we lump together and I do it every week in my introduction to this podcast and my radio show, I must admit, as much as we lump these two sides together, this is not a both sides thing. AOC and the squad may be a challenge for leaders of their party, but for them getting things done, making progress on policies is a win. So negotiations with them has some rationality to it. If we do this, is it enough for you to support Bill X? For the loud fringe of the Republican House, the very notion of government is sort of offensive. A member of Congress who says, go ahead and shut down the government and don't increase the debt limit to pay our bills. The government should be shut and yes, don't pay our bills is a hard vote to get. That person is really tough to negotiate with. But there is an even broken clock is right twice a day element to one argument that the nihilist wing of the Republican Party makes and made repeatedly yesterday. They correctly point out that the way that Congress decides its biggest question each year is pretty broken. That is how we should spend our money. Appropriating money is a lot of the job of Congress, and the system for deciding how we do it is pretty well thought out. The bulk of the work is done by the Appropriations Committee, which is a panel made up of more senior members who choose to be on this committee and usually don't get to serve on any others. I say choose, but in reality, they fight to be appointed to it. The leadership of the two parties generally work to keep it a geographically representative committee. And the committee itself is then divided into 12 subcommittees that cover every corner of the federal government. Those 12 subcommittees do the work each year of having hearings in their area of concern, getting requests from the administration and the other members of Congress. And according to the plan, they pass their own bills containing funding levels for each department, office, and agency under their purview. You with me so far? The House passes the 12 bills, in theory. 
The Senate passes the 12. They work out their differences and voila, government is funded, just like you learned on Schoolhouse Rock. This week, a new fiscal year was all ready to begin on October 1st. And all of those bills hadn't been passed and signed into law. Well, actually, none of them had been passed and signed into law. That's why we face this quote-unquote crisis. As I said, air quotes around the word crisis. Now, some have argued that this departure from what they call regular order is a good reason to shut down the government. They argue the orderly system that I just described is broken, and they're not really wrong. To be fair, it rarely goes perfectly. Since fiscal year 1977, Congress has only passed all 12 regular appropriation bills on time in four years. 77, 89, 95, and 97. Every other year since 1977 has required at least one continuing resolution to keep the budget running while they worked out the final bills. But like the boy who murders his parents and then demands leniency because he's an orphan, the complainers are at fault this year. It may strike you as counterintuitive, but the members of the Appropriations Committee are usually not the reasons we don't have funding bills passed. By and large, the members of Congress who serve on these committees represent, you know, the kind of the more serious members of Congress. It is my experience that while they may have differing views on issues and a bill produced by a Democratic chairman um, and majority on, say, the Justice Department will look very different than one that comes out of a Republican committee, there is usually broad agreement on the big stuff. The problem has been coming from extreme Republican members of the House that add things to bills that make them unpalatable to the other Republicans or so extreme that there is no real way to compromise. The least controversial spending bill each year is the one governing the Department of Defense. The overwhelming bulk of that spending is for the men and women of the military. So even if no other bill passes, that one usually does, but not this year. Obsessed with woke and restricting the right to abortion and even against efforts to improve recruiting in communities of colors, the hard edge of the Republican Party has made a a pile of poison pills, even after that committee passed, I think with only one dissenting vote. So these bills, which originate in the House and then have versions passed in the Senate, will not be happening this year because like so much else in Congress nowadays, the press release or the tweet or the best way to own the libs has really been the dominating ethos at the expense of actual lawmaking and budget doing. With all this troublemaking on spending bills, the outcome is predictable last-minute mega-bills to keep the government running. It's ugly. Yes, it would be better to follow the normal appropriation process as designed long ago. But the biggest problem since January is that there are a handful of Republicans who don't realize or even care that by definition, anything that Congress has accomplished is going to accomplish is going to have to be bipartisan. When Kevin McCarthy simply brought a bill to the floor to continue to keep the government open and nothing more, He so infuriated his members that they stopped everything to throw him out of the job. The sin of, quote unquote, making a deal with the Democrats was for him and his job a deadly sin. The Republicans narrowly hold the House, the Democrats narrowly hold the Senate, and there is a Democratic president. If stopping everything from happening is your goal, this is an easy time to be alive. And as we found out yesterday, It takes literally one person in a snit to make everything stop. When the Republicans essentially voted, well, really eight or however many it was, and every Democrat voted to toss out Kevin McCarthy as speaker, there were a couple of things to keep in mind here. The first is that the essence 
Gates and others, they were just angry at McCarthy. It was very personal. And they were angry for passing a budget extender bill for 45 days, as I said, a bill that had the support of 126 Republicans and 209 Democrats. They were so upset at McCarthy for doing that, that they threw out their speaker with the support of only eight Republicans and every Democrat. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. A couple of other things to keep in mind. One, it shows, and this should have been obvious to McCarthy going in, that the value of whoring yourself for Donald Trump or whoring yourself for Tucker Carlson, both of which McCarthy did in the effort to get the speakership, it's just not worth it. Trump will never be loyal to you and Tucker Carlson, well, he's not even on TV anymore. Another thing that I think is important to note, and I intimated this or said it outright a moment ago, and that is this is not a both sides moment. This is not a moment we can say, oh, the chaos exists in our country under the two-party system or Congress is failing. It's the Republicans that are in chaos. Nancy Pelosi, as I mentioned, had a very small margin herself. But there was this overarching sense that existed, not only under Democrats, but really under Democrats and Republicans going back over 100 years, that you're much stronger as a group when you stick together behind the speaker. Sure, The other folks in your caucus might seem like your opponents, but it really is the other party that's the enemy. There is the other lesson, and it is about the rule that any one person that can call up a motion to vacate a chair is a mistake. I would think it was a mistake to do it under Democrats or Republicans, but anytime it becomes a condition of your election, you should anticipate problems. And I did anticipate these problems, and so many other people did. When this deal was struck after 15 some odd votes back in January, So what's the lesson? Well, to the extent that there is a lesson, it is that in divided government, there are going to be times when individual members of Congress are not going to be happy with every single thing in every single bill. There are going to be times when you're not even going to feel like you're going in the right direction. And there are going to be times where a bill seems that is very good in some part are going to be very bad at other parts and you're going to have to hold your nose to vote yes. That's legislating. And if you have to vote no, you have to vote no. It's not perfect. It's not pretty. And as I said, I think it would be great to go back to a time when all 12 legislative appropriation bills were passed and reported on time, that we went to conference committees on every one, and we voted them out, and every member had an opportunity to offer amendments on the floor and speak to their heart's content. That's the ideal. In divided government like we have today, with partisanships at levels that we have today, it's going to be difficult to accomplish everything even under the best of circumstances. But so long as we're not infected by the idea that something has to be absolute, I think you can get stuff done. Joe Biden is proving it. Nancy Pelosi proved it dozens of times. But I want to remind you of something that I have said repeatedly. If you have people like Matt Gates, if you have people who simply want to stop anything from happening, they're going to control the momentum in Washington. And if you have people who are getting rewarded for taking these types of steps, if you're getting people who get thousands of likes or plenty of hits on CNN and Fox and lots of uh, signatures on their petition online for doing nothing but being the most extreme, you're going to keep having this problem. And all of us bear some responsibility. I recall that when I was an elected official, or even now as a person who's on the radio, very rarely would someone call up or stop me on the street and say, hey, Congressman, I want you to go compromise. Did they really say that? No. What they usually say is, I want you to go and not give an inch. I want you to make sure you protect my Social Security and you shut the border or you show those Republicans what for. That's the message that um, members of Congress get bombarded with every day, but particularly it's true now.
What is very different now, though, though, something that is different from when I was in office, is that we've just completely stopped rewarding elected officials who do try to reach across the aisle and try to find compromise. And we saw that yesterday with McCarthy. Now, he's got many, many flaws, and I don't think that he's the He's the archetype of any particular virtuous way of being a speaker. He's going back on deals left and right. But there does seem that there's no premium anymore to be a person who goes to Congress, who tries to get stuff done, who tries to make his way through the ranks by keeping his head down and trying to do the right thing. That's how how you used to be how you became speaker, how you became a senior legislator, a chairman of committees. Now it doesn't seem to be a path that leads to everywhere and to anywhere. Even the most junior bum can stand up on the floor and drive the whole Congress to a standstill. And when you have that situation, you're going in the wrong direction. And we'll be right back with Ask Anthony Anything. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome back. This is the part of the program we call Ask Anthony Anything, where we take some listener mail. We take something that has been said in Congress. Maybe an article has been written. Maybe another show on WABC Radio that I felt needed to be responded to. And you can reach me at at Rep Wiener on Twitter, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, or Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook, uh, WienerWABC on uh, gmail.com. And I hate to admit this, but one of the things that frequently motivates me to respond to the query online and in the podcast, is when someone starts it by saying, I bet you're going to avoid this issue, dot, dot, dot. And I did get two of those about the case of Jamal Bowman, the member of Congress, who, uh, I don't know what he did. <laughs> I guess what he did was he, we know for sure, is he activated a fire alarm in, in the midst of the debate on the vote to continue the operation of the government that I just talked about. And you'll forgive me, but this issue goes in the category of uh, Chinese spy balloons, Fetterman's hoodie. There have got to be other examples. Issues that by the end of the year, when they're doing the year that was, don't even emerge for one moment. Now, do I think his explanation is credible? I kind of maybe little do. This sign that I saw in the newspaper that said, activate the alarm after three seconds. The alarm will go off after three seconds. And then it says, The note said after 20 seconds, the doors will automatically unlock. Could it be that he saw that and said, "Ah, no big deal if the thing makes a little sound so long as the door unlocks and let me out so I can go vote? I guess that's a somewhat credible explanation. But more importantly is, does it really, like what's, you know, equating it with January 6th, people breaking through the glass, using flagpoles to to pummel uh, members of the Capitol Hill police, you know, threatening Mike Pence with being hung. I don't, I think that's probably going a bit too far. Should he be sanctioned? Okay, I I guess that's fine too. And I realize also at moments like this that maybe I'm not cut out for the day-to-day grind of being on the radio because when you're on the radio every day and I'm only on on Saturdays for a couple of hours from two to four and then I'm on from four to five with Curtis Lewa, I can basically go through a couple hours wrapping up the week's events and not have to spend much time on hoodies or Jamal Bowman or... Chinese spy balloons. But if I'm 
forced to, I will say this. You should not activate fire alarms unless there's absolutely a fire. And if you do that, you should be sent to detention or something. Now, there was one other thing that for some reason popped up in my mentions and in my mail. It's because I, last weekend on the show, because Taylor Swift and I have something in common, I mentioned her and we played her music on the show. And the thing we had in common is that um, she's dating the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs were playing the New York Jets. I'm a New York Jet fan. So I said, the thing we had in common is we both had to sit through a Jets game. And I made that joke and we played Taylor Swift music between each segment. And I got a couple of emails from mean people saying that Taylor Swift is ruining football for everyone and the NFL should be ashamed, et cetera, et cetera. Can everyone just relax? Honestly, why do we care if someone likes the game? Now, you know, they shot to, they, they kept showing her in the booth, in her up in her booth. She seemed to be having a good time. She seems like a very lovely young woman. Her music is quite good. And um, so just shut up. I mean, it, it is a little bit, there are, I know people, and I guess as a hockey fan, we sometimes, you just, you, you, you want to kind of keep the sport serious. It's not, it's just entertainment. And what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, the worst thing apparently has happened. Uh, Travis Kelsey's numbers and jersey are now one of the most popular being sold at the NFL store. He's gotten a lot of followers and they seem to be happy together. So there it is. A little cultural note here at the end of the 50th episode of The Middle Unplugged. I want to thank our sound designer and producer, Eric Salas. If I sound a little different today, it's not his fault. I recorded at home because like all of you, I was watching the bitter end of the Speaker McCarthy regime. So that marks the end of our show. I really do appreciate all of your support for the past 50 episodes. We'll be back next week with another one. In the meantime, this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged.